Hey, it's time to grab a coffee and have a conversation at the Ideas Cafe. My name is Paul Edward Ralph, and I'm joined by John Belbeck and Aaron Holbrow, and we are relentlessly curious about the big ideas that impact the way we live. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe and consider helping us grow by sharing with a friend. But most importantly, we encourage you to stay in the conversation. This is the Ideas Cafe. Okay, guys. Hey, listen, I've been, um, you guys might laugh at this. Well, actually, I know you'll laugh at this. Um, however, I want to tell a story that is going to elucidate an idea. John, do you understand what that word means? Idea or elucidate? Elucidate. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you guys believe this, but the, the, the things that are spoken to us when we're young, particularly, um, can have an enduring impact on our lives. Uh, do you agree with that? Possibly more than anything else impacts us, I think. I mean, other than some sort of physical trauma, words impact you in childhood okay. for good or for bad. Aaron, agree or disagree? Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. We all can probably remember a phrase or something that was said to us as a child that still sticks. Okay, I was 14 years old. I, was, I had been adoring from a distance this young lady at my school, okay? Went to a school. We wore school uniforms. And I might add that she looked particularly lovely in her school uniform. And um, I just didn't have the courage to... I, we were friends, but I just couldn't cross over between the thin space of, of being her friend to asking her out on a date, right? It was terrifying for me, just terrifying. So I'm 14 years old. I'm working on this for months. I muster up the courage one day. We're at the bus stop. Um, you know, our school was in Toronto, and, and many of us took um, public transport to and from. And um, I get up the courage to ask her out. I say, I say this to her. Would you like to go to a movie with me? Great question. It's a great question, right? Yeah, it's easy. And here's what she says instantly, like without even, without even one iota of delay. Sure. And I thought, holy cow, I've That's just great. won the lottery, right? Like all of my worry was for naught. Um, and then she said, she repeated herself. She said, sure, if you'll introduce me to your older brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always a nice. catch. Oh, no, Conditional. guys. It, Conditional. It, it was horrible, right? Aww. So, it, no, it busted. It gutted me. I was crushed. I was completely humiliated. I think it's caused irreparable damage. And I was only 14. So, uh, so fast. And it's, it's because you don't have an older brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Made it, made it worse. Yeah. So here, here's the word that I want to, I want to propose something today. I want to propose this word, um, if. I I want to say that if, when it's employed, um, especially during moments of tension, it can often present as a bargaining chip or a cover-up for fear or, or a blame game. And I just think in life, and more importantly, it puts people in a competitive posture against one another, and that's just really unhealthy. So here's my premise, ready? We need to start dropping the if bombs. Dropping the F-bombs. Not dropping them as in more use. Dropping as in cease to use the if-bomb. Because the if-bomb has way more collateral damage than the F-bomb, which my mother said I was not permitted to use because it, not, 
because it showed a certain lack of intelligence. That was my mom's, you know, we couldn't cuss at home because my mom said, son, that's beneath you. You have a better grasp of the English language than that. So, okay, Aaron, respond. What does the word if look like for you? Um, well, you know, it's, it is a conditional word, right? It's a conditional clause that we use. There's, um, it, it has weight to it in the sense that, uh, it means we've got to somehow change for somebody else's liking in order to get what it is we like or we need. I think, I think if we, we, we could probably all remember an if bomb from our childhood. You talked about words remember from our childhood. We can probably all remember those if bombs from our childhood. I remember my dad telling me I, I, I would never get a job if I didn't get a haircut, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, even in, um, in school, you know, teachers telling me that I'd, I'd never, you know, graduate if I didn't, or I'd never, you know, uh, we remember a lot of these moments where people kind of want our lives to stop and draw a line and say, if you don't do things the way I want, then this is the way it's going to go. And of course, I think, uh, often we don't believe them. We know that people are just using them to get their own way. They're using them as a bargaining chip, but what makes an if bomb dangerous is, it's almost like Russian roulette. We get thrown a million if bombs in our lives, but one of them explodes. Mm-hmm. One of them, one of them's the damaging one, and it's usually one we least expect because normally we let them pass on by. But there's always one I think that really sticks to us, like like with you when it comes to love or in a relationship with someone. Um, yeah, those conditions are hard. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think I think there's better words we could use besides if. Can we just go back, though, and, and just kind of um, break down what happened again with the girl who said... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. You, so in as other if words, it weren't painful As enough. if it weren't painful, yeah. you want to you rip the knife out and then just jab it back in the open wound. Right. So as an example, she was using the quote-unquote if bomb as a conditional means for getting something that she wanted. Yeah. And while if it were a business negotiation, it would be something that we would encourage you to do and she would be uh, well advised to use the word if in the personal relationship standpoint it was an example of a forward-looking conditional kind of bargaining chip as Aaron says that's what was I mean setting aside that it was hurtful Mm -hmm. she was using it to get something for herself Mm -hmm. and in the context of a personal relationship it hurt. And, mo- it and hurt. more importantly, it did she damage. Paid, and she paid no attention to that impact on me. Right. So the if bomb in that sense, the collateral damage probably mm. lasting if I'm not. Oh, absolutely. Mistaken. Yeah. Um, okay. I get it. So, so can you. So I dated uh, from 14 to 16, I dated a blow up doll because they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't put any conditions on my, on my love. <laughs> okay. Here are the three things. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, have you guys ever seen Lars and the Real Girl? No. Yes. Yeah. Very good movie. Yeah. You got to watch it. It's about a guy who takes uh, a blow up doll to family parties and stuff. It's interesting. Okay. But here's the, here's the idea, John. Let me be explicit. So there's, I think there are three cases where we put ourselves in competitive posture with people. And that's the key. I think it's the competitive posture. Are you going to are you tell me about three different types of if bombs? Yeah. Okay. So I want to hear it. I think if can be a bargaining chip. So here's the example. Husband. If she puts out I'll help around the house. Wife, if he helps out more, I might want to have sex with him. 
okay? If can be a cover-up for fear also. Guy, if she really knew what I was like on the inside, she'd reject me. Girl, if I gain weight, he'll look elsewhere. So it's a cover-up for a a fear that's deep inside of us. Lastly, it, it can be a blame game. If can be a blame game. Husband, if she weren't such a nag, we'd be happy. Wife, if it didn't waste so much money on golf, we wouldn't be in this financial mess. So I, I've given you three examples of where if used slightly differently. Um, it's a bargaining chip, it's a cover-up for fear, and it's a blame. But all of it puts us at competitive postures against one another. I, I can think of a fourth one that is not a relationship issue. Um, it is, but I, I saw it in my father's life. He, he, um, if is a word that can keep you trapped in the past. So it, it, the, the example would be, um, you know, if when, you, when I look back at the decisions I've made in my life or career or whatever, someone's saying, you know, if only I had done this. If I had just, my, and my dad would do this, much of the later years in his, many of the later years of his life, he would spend an aw- he'd waste an awful lot of time using the if bomb, if you will, to, to say, to, to, you know, launch him into this, these sustained trenches of, of depression where he said, if only I had done this, if I had just stayed here at this company, if I had only invested this money, if I had, and it trapped the person in the past. So it's not exactly what you're talking about in terms of I like uh, it though. damage to people, but it's damage to him. It was damaged himself. It kept him trapped. That okay, if so, bomb so trapped tell, him. Tell us again what if. So I gave you the three the three titles. Yeah. What, what's your title for that one? If well, can be also a if if would be a be a um an an, inhi- an inhibitor or an impediment impediment <laughs> impediment impediment to moving forward in life. So I don't know what a, a simple word for what that would be, but it can be like a chain, a shackle that hmm. keeps you trapped in your past. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I only I'd done this, if only I'd done this. And you could apply it to things like relationships. Like, you know what, if I had just done this, if I, and sometimes it's true, but it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. It's what it does either to yeah. yourself or other people. So here's an example in my life, John, um, my very first career stop out of seminary, I was um, at a very large um, church. I mean, most, most people who know me know that I was ordained as a minister in my first career. And I went to a, I went to a fabulous church, actually. It was, it, was, it was vibrant and large and everything that a young seminarian would want. And I stayed seven years, um, five and a half of which were really wonderful years. So my if version of that is if I'd only left at year 5.5, yeah. I'd have... I'd have got out unscathed, but I didn't. I stayed all seven, and as a result, I had to unpack a lot of baggage. Now, there's an example of where if you dwell on it, the, the whole point I wanted to make is that sometimes the, the if bomb does represent truth. It does. Mm-hmm. That girl wanted to meet your brother. Okay, okay. Uh, my father probably did make foolish or impulsive decisions in his career or in his investments or whatever. Um, but it, but 
by re, by reminding himself of these things, it impacted us. And I said collateral damage. There was no collateral damage with that one. It's wrong. It was massive collateral damage because he trapped himself in the past, and that impacted the rest of his family. Dro- right. Drove him into this depression, and then it impacted the rest of us. So... Okay, Aaron, you, you work at, uh, one of the things that you do exceptionally well is you're an addiction coach. At a, how, do you, how do you describe it exactly? Um, I'm a spirituality coach at an addiction center. Okay, so t- please tell me that this isn't the first time you've heard the word if used in these ways. No, if is a word all about control, right? So um, either uh, we're using it to control others, or in the case of what John's describing, you know, when we think of the past, if I had only, the word itself is trying to control us. And I, I think one of the biggest important moments we can come to in life is when we kind of give up the need for control of everything, um, especially others. It's one of the most harmful things we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, the problem with it is um, using it in John's context, you know, thinking about the past, if I had only, because in addiction, this is the problem. Every guy comes in and they've got trauma somewhere. And they're thinking, um, if I only as a child wasn't, um, you know, a victim, or if only um, my parents weren't divorced when I was in primary school, whatever, mm-hmm. I, I think they have to get to a place where they can realize that um, those definitive moments happen to all of us and they don't necessarily have to shape what comes after. Um, Unfortunately, we look back and we're always looking for something to blame. So in the case of John's uh, example of using, if looking backwards, we're just, we're just trying to use that. We're We're still trying to control. We're trying to control our current situation by saying it's not great right now because of something else, someone else. And that's actually not helpful in terms of moving forward. So I think that that's the biggest problem I see with the word if is it, it is all about somebody wanting control of how to either explain your story, explain the trauma in your story, um, or explain, um, how you think, you know, how to get out of this, this situation. Um, and I, I don't think, I don't think. I don't think it's good enough. Whenever I hear somebody explaining something using the word if, I, I want them to stop and use a different word. Instead of if, use the word could or would, so do you should actually, have. So do you actually in practice do that? Occasionally. Like I said, uh, if, if isn't as big a um, – the if bomb in my life is, isn't uh, as pronounced as obviously <laughs> it is in yours. Um, but when someone uses it in a pronounced way, it stands out. You can just tell. They're looking, they're looking for something – else to blame. And that's what we do as humans, right? When, when we're in so much pain, we want to deflect. I want to, I want someone else to, um, be responsible for my feelings because I don't want to think that it's my fault. And that's what we do. And that's where the word if comes in a lot, you know, if my wife would only, if my life had have been, if that accident didn't happen, it's like, hang on a second. Those things happen to a lot of people. They don't still end up in an addiction center. Okay. So we've set, I think we've set a good context. This, I think we've established in the first half that if can be troublesome. Agreed? Often it is. It can be troublesome. It has the potential to be troublesome. So let's spend the last little bit talking about um, either redeeming ourselves or redeeming a situation or altering it or seizing it. Or So what is a, if you'll, if you'll pardon 
the use of this term. What are some remedies? You're listening to the Ideas Cafe podcast. Got a question, comment, or topic you'd enjoy hearing us riff on? Email us at ideas at theideascafe.com. That's ideas at theideascafe.com. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Now, back to the conversation. The, the ifs about your past or decisions you've made or things that you shouldn't have done, and you, it, it, while it may be true, it's not a, it, they're, they're often true. The fact is it's not helpful. And the remedy is, in those situations, to stop, <laughs> to stop, just simply stop. And because saying, if only I had, as Aaron says, well, a, those things happen to a lot of people. A lot of people are caught in those circumstances. A lot of people are under those pressures. So stop explaining it, creating an excuse by using the if bomb, because it'll keep you in that state. It will not move you to a desired state. You're still explaining why you're here in this mess. Now, this is in this one context that I'm talking about, so I don't want to dwell on it, but stop using it. Focus on how. Start, start out talking about how to move to a desired state. What I can do now um, as, I, you know, as I want to get out of the trench of my past and move forward in a healthy way. So I'm, hearing, I'm hearing you say, don't ask why questions, ask how questions. Exactly. You, you, it's, it's healthy to understand why for a little bit, but then you got to move on or you'll stay in that perpetual state of understanding why I'm here, but never moving out of it. And, and so then it moves to how. How can I, I... I know I made those choices. I know I did those things, but now how do I move past that in a healthy way? Well, I never go back to bus stops. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never once visited a bus shelter ever again. You avoid the triggers. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Aaron? The problem is, the the problem is, I think when I hear that story, that very sad and probably very powerful story in your young man life, um, you know, there's a there is a thing about where there's this delicate balance of where you're a friend to a girl, and once she sees you as a quote unquote friend. I'm in the friend zone forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's I hate the friend zone. <laughs> so you got to strike that balance, right? Like my wife always talks about, you know, it was really nice because, you know, when we went out, um, we, we, we were friends a lot first. We were really friends. And I'm thinking, I, I tell her like, yeah, we were, <laughs> but we weren't like totally. Yeah. Like I didn't want to be that. <laughs> Johnny's a great friend. Introduce me to your brother, you know, like, no. I didn't want to hear that. Paul, thanks for taking the laundry out of the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, Paul's coming to us live from the laundromat down yeah. in... Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, right. so I, I'd like to suggest something. <clears throat> I'd like to suggest this. Go ahead, John. Well, you were going to ask, you had asked, and I got off on a tangent, but you had asked, what is the remedy for this? Oh, I, I did talk about one thing, but that was only in one context. Sure. And I think I might have jumped on Aaron's answer because he was probably about to say something much more wise, but it was a remedy to, or a, a way to stop, as you say, no, a way to start dropping. See, even that right there, right? Yeah. Understanding the difference between those two words, yeah. different differentiate between them, and then it gives yourself a sense of oh, I'm I'm on to the next 
the next right thing as opposed to stuck in the, in the, in the last wrong thing. Yeah. Um, Aaron, before I offer a thought, do you, did you want to add to that? A remedy. Um, I, I think one of the great ways to stop somebody from um, ruminating over the past, the ifs of the past that hold us hostage, is to agree with them that uh, that trauma existed. Like if this only ha- didn't happen, if they didn't say this to me, uh, because what they're doing is they're describing their future experience based on what somebody else has done in the past. So mm-hmm. they feel kind of out of control. It's not my fault that I'm here. And one of the things that's important is to acknowledge what they've said, to say, okay, what you've said is true. Absolutely. You have been treated poorly in the past. You have been misunderstood in the past. You have been stereotyped in the past. Absolutely true. But it doesn't have to be true anymore. And that actually gives them the most power and control. Instead of just wishing for something that had happened in the past that has shaped their present, because that's, that's not really true. Um, we've allowed it to shape our present, but it itself doesn't desire to shape our present moment. We've just allowed things because we ruminate too long and we've got to let them go. And so it's helpful sometimes to acknowledge them, to accept them, um, to hold them, but let them pass through by saying, yes, that's true. Have you guys but ever, it doesn't have to be true anymore. Have you exactly. Guys, that, Aaron, that's, well that's fantastic. Um, on the heels of that, have you guys ever heard of neuroplasticity? Yeah, I had it for lunch. <laughs> Okay, so here I think I think I'm going to be able to express this in, with, with brevity and clarity. So I think the idea behind neuroplasticity is really remapping your reflexive thinking. Reflexive thinking is think of it as the ruts down a road. So so there's there's a road that gets driven for 20 years, and there's pickup trucks that drive it all the time, and big trucks. And then all of a sudden, you take your little Honda or your Volkswagen, and you get caught in those ruts, right? And it's very difficult to get out. Our mind does that. We have patterns of thinking. Neuroplasticity suggests that it's not only children who can remap or or, uh, place new thought patterns. So I think, Aaron, what you're describing for me is uh, this concept of hoeing new thought patterns. Um, I have some reflexive thinking. So I hear the word if, instantly I go back to the bus stop. And then it floods me with a sense of, um, I wasn't as good enough as my brother, or quite frankly, it's taken me way farther down that path to, I am not as good as my brother. Forget just I wasn't, but I am not. And so I lived in the shadow of others. Uh, It started with my brother because he was a a strapping, strong kind of, uh, he was a cowboy. That was his thing. And, um, and I was nothing like that, as you guys know. And so, but it transferred. I had a college roommate. He was Adonis. He was chiseled, cut, muscular, four inches taller than me, and all the girls adored him. Um, so guess what I did? I, I reflexively went into the space of, I'll never be. And so anyway, all of that to say, I, I find this idea of neuroplasticity really interesting. And so what, I, what I'd like to suggest to you is that how we respond to this question or this, this pattern that's in our brain can, can either be helpful or hurtful. And so here's what I'd like to suggest. Because if bombs put us in competitive postures, and Aaron, I'll, I'll borrow from you, because it's also a systematic control issue, it becomes me versus you. It's me versus you or you versus me. And, the, and immediately the posture between us is competitive. I've got something to gain from you or a win from you and at your expense, so to speak. 
And here's what I'd, here's what I'd propose to you, in, particularly in, in relationships that are very important. How about this? It's not me versus you. It's us versus the thing. It's us yeah, versus like the that. thing. So, like, for me, in, 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 I'll just move can, into a marriage relationship. Go can, ahead, John. Can I just ask you a question on that? Sure. So, um, this is what I wanted to do, is bring it back to the example that you said, and maybe you can explain the principle based on the, an earlier example you gave, which was the couple, and the one guy, or so the, the husband is saying, or the guy's saying, you know, you know, if you would just... Um, you know, if you would just, uh, I don't know, whatever, do more around the house or... Yeah, if she puts know, out, I'll help around the house. And her response was, if he helps out more, I might want to have sex with him. Yeah, if, if he would do, you know, get the garbage out on time and mow the lawn when it needs to be, whatever, I might. So explain the, the instead of you versus me, because that is a, a posture that is you versus me. Right. The if bombs have been dropped there right um and puts them into a con confrontational stance and you're saying that the application of that that framework that us versus the thing maybe just explain that well yeah so um in that particular instance uh the thing isn't the sex actually in that analogy to me the thing is um perhaps the unspoken needs that e each person in that relationship has so so maybe he never knew that it was critically important to her that he took the initiative to go get the garbage every day or to clean up around the house. Maybe he was born and raised in an environment where that was not just uh, the natural thing and, and he just waited. So he actually doesn't even mind. So it's not, a, it's not a sin of commission, if you will. It's a sin of omission. He didn't do it, but she resents him for not doing it. And so I think that switching it from an us, uh, a me versus you, to an us versus the thing, in that instance would be speak up. Hey, you know, uh, you know what really speaks to me? Uh, I'm speaking now as the wife in this case. You know, it, love comes in many forms to me. Um, mm -hmm. I, love, I love our intimacy and our passion. And I also love when you do an act of kind service toward me. And both of those things flourish inside of me. And both of those things ignite fires and passions inside of me. And so I want you to know how I love and how I like to receive love. And so all of a sudden now you've been given permission to go, oh, I get it. This just isn't about me getting my rocks off. This is, this is about me understanding the broader nature of love. So it's, it's us, that is the husband and wife, versus the distractions. And there are many distractions and they're normal. Money, death, employment, children, sickness, attraction to other people, aging parents, yada, 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 pizza toppings, right? Yeah, I think, I think the problem in our culture, though, is that we, we bought into this reward and punishment thing. Um, if you do this, then I'll do that. I'll reward you by, you know, helping me. And that's not love. Um, how about the husband just learns to uh, take learns what his wife's needs are first and just takes care of them? Because the truth is, if he's just taking the garbage out to get one of his other back pocket needs met, then nothing's really going to change. Yeah, I did, and please know, I didn't. In, that's not what I was inferring. I was simply inferring that if you move it from a competitive posture to a posture of "Hey, this is us" versus yeah. the thing that can get in the way of us. But I like what you said at the beginning because it's not really about. Um, them wanting to make love. It's actually about them wanting uh, a couple things checked off their list. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that doesn't push anybody forward. Um, it, it just actually disguises the real problem. Is we don't really understand each other. And the only way I get my needs met is by tricking you into doing it. And 
you keep that going, the logical conclusion of that kind of thinking is a terrible place to be. And I, I um, yeah, I, I agree. We got to change the posture of this whole thing. Just stop using the word if. Well, that's the starting point. And that's why I said dropping the if bombs. I have a very dear friend. She's a brilliant thinker and writer. Um, I hesitate sometimes to name people, but her name was Rachel. And she's just a beautiful, um, thoughtful person. Here's what, here's what she said about conversations. Um, and tough issues. She, and I'm going to quote her to the best of my ability. Uh, tough issues can make us fearful or defensive. However, a good conversation doesn't dismiss, an, dismiss another person's point of view. A healthy conversation is open. It's honest. Each person seeks to give and receive. And each person has a genuine interest in the perspective and the knowledge of the other person. And so I think that's one of the ways in which us versus the distraction can come about as well. I think it's partly just acknowledging to yourself, I've got something to learn from the person I'm engaging with right now. It doesn't have to be your wife or your significant other, but just meaningful relationships. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I have some relationships where I basically do an eye roll every time they open their mouths. <laughs> right? And that's not healthy. That, that's a control posture. Um, well, I, w I wouldn't even call those relationships. We have people in our lives that our whole um, connection is based on um, conditional experiences. That's not a relationship. A real relationship is when you have a connection that transcends my meeting your needs and you meeting my needs. You know, because, because the truth is, that is the nature of, of living with people is our, we, we uh, meet each other's needs, but we're not with other people so our needs can be met. We're with other people and as a byproduct of that, our needs are met. Well said. I think what you're saying is, Aaron, what you're implying, it's not a healthy relationship. It's, there's, there's relationships yeah. that are, yeah, I get it, I get Small it. Small R, capital R. Let's wrap this up. Um, Many of us were raised in environments where we were taught not to drop the F-bombs because that was inappropriate, bad language, cussing, depending on where you were raised from or where you were raised. And, um, and I think we all learned that well, most of us. However, many of us were not given counsel on the word if. And we dropped the if-bomb like it's nothing. And I think there's collateral damage and we're, we see that all around. So, so friends, we encourage you, um, take note. Take, take note of the competitive postures that you establish in your relationship. Take note of your control factor. Um, quit asking why exclusively and move to how. How, how can you um, move forward in some of these areas? And then lastly, here's all, all I'd say to you is that um, you can live your life in a uh, me versus you posture. And I just think it's going to be less enjoyable and less meaningful and less fruitful. How about this? Try an us versus the thing. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for this installment of the Ideas Cafe podcast. We're so glad you've joined us. Remember to share with your friends and subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Be well and remember to stay in the conversation.